0: Morning, everyone. Thank you, Heather, so much for leading us this morning. How many uh, people have read or can remember or recognize this book by Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness? Stick your hand high up now for me, right? That's a lot of people. It was originally released in 1986. That's 30 years ago this year. Uh, Reprinted a number of times, and it has sold well over two and a half million copies worldwide. It caused a bit of a storm. It sparked countless discussions and debates. Some people went off on one about it, while others were convinced that this Assemblies of God Pastor Peretti was on to something, and that he used his novel to provide some necessary and helpful teaching on the whole area of spiritual warfare, territorial spirits, and the battle that exists between angels and demons behind the scenes, plus the importance of prayer. It was fascinating. It's a real page turner. But at the end of the day, it was just a fantasy novel. And I think it would be incredibly dangerous in own ways to base your understanding of some of those issues on any fantasy novel. But the one thing that this present darkness maybe did, and this is not a kind of 30-year-out-of-date critique of it, but one thing that it did is that it was to us that there is an unseen world. One that we don't get very often, one that we don't see, certainly, but it's nevertheless real. It's there. And the veil into that kind of world is pulled back a little for us this morning in the text that we're going to look at from Daniel chapter 10. Because in this chapter, we we, we catch a glimpse of certain realities that lurk behind human conflict. Now, before we stand and read the chapter, let me kind of get you to press fast forward for a moment, and this is really important, because I want to remind you of an incredibly important and relevant truth. On the cross, and I know we're, we're, we're pressing fast forward a number of years, but on the cross, and this is kind of part of the big story, this is part of all of our stories, but on the cross, Jesus disarmed the power's and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them. We know that from Paul's writing, particularly to the Colossae church. Jesus won a decisive victory in the conflict that we read about throughout the entire Old Testament and it's referenced here in Daniel chapter 10. But here's the thing, the victory is an already but not yet event. The victory has been secured by Jesus on the cross, but it still waits its final conclusion. And so the fight goes on. We still come up against forces of evil. They still kick and scream. They still do their best. They still do their damnedest to create havoc in our lives and beyond. And, and unless we get that, Unless we realize that and then make certain choices, we risk taking hits that will threaten our present standing, that threaten our spiritual well-being. And therefore, we've got to recall and take on board what has been described as the Christian's holy war manifesto. And in case you're kind of confused about how I've started this and in case you're even a little uncomfortable with how I've started this, let me remind you of the Apostle Paul's explicit instructions to every Christian. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here's the bit. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so the battle continues. It goes on behind the scenes. And unless we're aware of it, unless we take precautions, we may become a casualty of this holy war. And there are far too many of those about. There are far too many unarmored Christians. I will come back to Ephesians 6 and this whole idea of the protective covering of God in a moment, but let's go back to Daniel and let's make some connections between that and Ephesians 6. Daniel, here's just a little bit of background. Daniel is about to receive another vision or revelation of the future. This is his last one, but the strange thing about this one is rather than just occupy one chapter, this particular one occupies the rest of the book, the final three chapters. The main content of this final revelation and how it kind of plays out doesn't actually come until chapters 11 and 12. But in chapter 10, we read about Daniel's preparation for this final revelation. And so let's, as we often do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's revealing word. It's page 895 for anybody who wants to follow it in the pew Bible. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true. It concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. That's the kind of heading for these next three chapters, by the way. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Nobody's got an idea why he did, but he did. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I've been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia now I have come to explain to you what will happen to you and to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and I was speechless. And then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision of my Lord and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me, gave me strength. Don't be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, peace, be strong, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you've given me strength. So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Grab a seat. So, back in, in Daniel chapter 9, if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll remember Daniel was on his knees and he was praying. And he was fasting and he was dressed in sackcloth and ashes. And here again at the beginning of chapter 10, he's in a similar place. He's lamenting for three weeks. As I said, nobody knows why, but he's mourning. He's lamenting for three weeks. And he's engaged in another fast, at least a partial one. And he's denying himself the use of lotions. Plus, based on verse 12, we can also assume that Daniel spent a lot of this time, a lot of these 21 days in prayer, speaking to God. Now, I know I've said this before, but it's a recurring theme throughout this book and throughout his life. Daniel was a man of prayer who practiced spiritual disciplines. And that was what enabled him to confront the challenges of life in exile. That was what enabled him to keep his life on track. That was what enabled him to stay connected to God, to hear from God. That was what enabled him to dream dreams and to have visions. That was what enabled him to not only start well, but also finish well. Remember, Daniel is now well into his 80s or 90s at this stage. And as David Helm writes in response to Daniel's devotional life and devotional patterns, Daniel's example should encourage us to seek God. It should bolster us to be a people of vibrant prayer and spiritual disciplines as these drive us deeper into relationship with God our Father. And as we come to the end of this series, as we complete our reading of the book of Daniel, let me encourage those of us who are Christians to seriously this morning review our practice of spiritual disciplines. Your commitment to holy habits. What has your commitment to holy habits been like this past week? How have spiritual disciplines characterized your day-to-day life since we met here last Sunday morning? Is there regular prayer, silence, solitude, confession of sin, reading of God's word, fasting, built into your rhythm of life, written into your daily and weekly schedules? Or are we attempting Are we attempting to survive and nurture a relationship on a diet of devotional nibbles and delicacies where we grab the odd moment here and there with God and we hope to God that there's a day coming, a quieter day, whenever we'll find time and we'll have time to be like Daniel? I've mentioned this before, let me repeat it. Daniel was an incredibly busy man with core responsibilities in central government. He was stretched to the limit. He experienced pressure from all directions, but his consistent decision and choice to seek God, to practice spiritual disciplines, enabled him to be that man of God that he was, enabled him to have the influence that he had. And this is not about legalism this morning. This is not about sending anybody on a guilt trip, although when you talk about these sort of things, it's really easy to do that. Because some of you are sitting here this morning saying, right, I didn't come to church this morning to get hammered, David, thanks. That's not what this is about. This is not about saying you must do this, you have to do this. This is about simply recognizing that throughout scripture, key character after key character, and this includes Jesus, they were distinguished, they were marked as people of prayer who spent time alone with the Father. And they created space and they created rhythm to engage in practices that led to feed and fuel their faith. And Daniel's example in this whole area is striking. Please, as we complete this series, with all its complexities, don't miss this. And if you've lost the rhythm, if you've lost the pattern of practicing spiritual disciplines, why not use the rest of Lent not to give anything else up, but to choose to begin doing certain things? Let's move on. I'll come back to the importance of prayer later. But as Daniel stands on the bank of this great river, during this intense time of focus, mourning, lamenting, partially fasting, abstaining from the use of lotions, as he stands there, he receives a vision of this remarkable figure. Now, there were clearly others with him. And although they were completely freaked by what was going on, they didn't see what Daniel saw. And he I don't want to make too much of what I'm about to say. I don't want to take us down some blind alley. But I wonder... I wonder, are there times whenever stuff is happening at another level, a profoundly spiritual level, and it's only those in a particular place, it's only those in a particular frame of mind and openness can see it. Why? Because they have spent time seeking God, with God, tuned into God. Whereas so much passes me by. It's just a thought. Some people think this this arresting, remarkable man that Daniel saw was Jesus. (laughs) A pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. That's what Daniel saw on that riverbank that day. And the reason that people think that is who Daniel saw was because the description of this man here is quite similar to John's vision In Revelation chapter one, I'm not so sure. I'm not convinced. Primarily because, as we see later, this man needed angelic help to resist the angel prince of Persia. And I, honestly, folks, I find it difficult to accept that Jesus needed this kind of assistance pre-incarnation, especially for 21 days. Either way, standing before Daniel is this impressive angelic figure whose words roll like thunder. And the impact that he has on Daniel, his reaction, it's not exactly surprising. Daniel is completely devastated. And before we kind of look at the the content of what he says, it's the effect on Daniel that I want us to note and take on board. Daniel is wasted He's got no strength left him and color drains from his face. He goes deathly pale. He is wiped out. He's helpless. He falls on his face. He falls into a deep sleep. And then after a little helping hand, a bit of celestial first aid, he's back up on his hands and knees. He's crawling on all fours. And then he loses his ability to speak according to verse 15. He's in pain. He's in anguish. He can hardly breathe. And what I want to say out of this is there is nothing casual or trivial about encountering God. Nothing. Or receiving a word from God. And the minute that we treat it casually and trivially, we've lost it as individuals and as a church. And for those like Daniel who received it so dramatically and so directly, it took its toll. It cost them physically, it cost them emotionally, it cost them mentally, it cost them spiritually. And for us as we engage with their story, where does it leave us? Where does it leave us this morning as we read about them? Well, according to one writer, here's where it should leave us. It should leave us in gratitude because you see, if I'm honest, I seldom think of the horror and pain the Lord's servants endured in order to be the vehicles through whom his word has passed on to us in the scriptures. I just take it for granted. And what it costs... And what it still costs some people to be conduits of God's word is incredible. But as a result of their experience, the experience of people like Daniel, we have access to God's word. It is available to us. And then we can live in light of it and in response to it. Thank God for Daniel who was willing to be wasted. And receive and word from God, but as he prepares for this final vision, that as I say is yet to come, really in chapters eleven and twelve, we'll look at it in a couple of weeks. But this vision that he's about to receive—it's nearly going to kill him. It nearly has killed him. But now let's turn to the, the content of the message. That's the impact it had on. But let's look at the content, and I think it's probably fair to summarise this as comforting and confusing. You see, despite the fact that what Daniel experiences is really hard to take, it's really hard to cope with, it's really hard to process, the messenger actually speaks some very personal words of blessing and hope. Twice he tells Daniel, Daniel, you're highly esteemed. Did you notice that, Daniel? You're highly esteemed. Verse eleven, verse eighteen. Do you know what that means? That means you are, Daniel, greatly loved. And there's probably nothing more comforting, especially given what's going on in and around Daniel's life, to be reminded by the Almighty God. Do you know something, Daniel? See above and beyond everything else. You are greatly loved. Must have been music to his ears, surely. And for some of us this morning who are going through all kinds of challenges and stretches and pressures and discomfort, we need to be reminded above and beyond everything else. Do you know something? God loves you. God loves you. It's for you. And Spurgeon said this in reaction to this text, I know of no greater blessing that can happen to any man and woman here than to be assured by the Spirit of God that they are greatly beloved of the Lord. But there are more words of comfort for Daniel. He's also told Daniel, don't be afraid. Twice he hears this, don't be afraid. Peace, be strong. And again, those are recurring words of encouragement in scripture where God's people are told these things on numerous occasions. And again, maybe that's what some people just need to hear this morning. They don't need to hear everything else I have tried to say or will try to say. All they need to hear from God is listen, don't be afraid, peace, be strong. I love you, for you. But what about the confusing content? That's the the comforting content, that's great like that. But what about the confusing content? Or at least confusing to us. Maybe it wasn't for Daniel, I don't know. Turns out that this messenger was delayed in getting to Daniel because he was resisted for 21 days by the angel prince of Persia. But then Michael who is one of the chief angel princes, came to help him. Now, according, you don't need to look this up, but according to chapter 12, verse 1, Michael is the great angel prince who protects Israel. Michael is described in Jude 9 as an archangel. And in Revelation 12, we read that Michael and his angels fight the great dragon question, what is that all about? What is that all about? That, that's this present darkness-like, isn't it? And what we've got here is this kind of veil being pulled back on a world and on a reality that's unseen. You see, it seems there is not only an angelic host that does the bidding of God. We know that. That's clear from Scripture. Like Gabriel. Like whoever this messenger is that has come to Daniel. But there's not only angelic hosts that do the bidding of God. There are others. Fallen ones who work to oppose God and God's will, like the angel prince of Persia, like the angel prince of Greece. And there's conflict. There's this cosmic conflict. There is a war going on. And what are we to make of this as we read it? And we live in this world that we can see, and so much of the unseen passes us by. And I know we've got to be extremely careful not to sensationalize this, not to head off into some realm of speculation, but at the same time, we've got to be very careful not to mute this either or dismiss it entirely because was all just fantasy, David. During this series, I have often quoted Dale Ralph Davis. I'm going to do it again now. And here's what he says. The teaching seems to be that unseen evil powers influence and control the kingdoms and governments of this world in order to inflict harm and havoc on the people of God. This is what we see on the surface, this. But there is this whole unseen arena, an invisible war going on behind the scenes. You see, I think our tendency is not so much to hype this. There are those that do. There are those that every time they stub their toe are looking for a demon behind every door. But our tendency, I want to suggest, is to avoid it. To ignore it. And therefore, we forget that we are surrounded by that we are in a spiritual battle. We forget that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as a result of our tendency to dismiss a lot of this, we forget to get kitted out. And we don't put on the armor of God on any kind of consistent or regular basis in order that we would be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and in order that we would stand firm. And as a danger, what happens? We are left exposed. We're left vulnerable to the devil's schemes and to the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we just need to look around us. And it seems there's casualty after casualty after casualty of people who once walked well and today, I'm not saying it's totally this reason, but today are nowhere. Why? I'm not trying to be over dramatic, I'm simply quoting scripture, and as I said at the start, Jesus has won the victory for us on the cross, yes, absolutely, but there's still a fight going on. And it will do until the ultimate end and a new beginning. You see, dismiss or forget the unseen world and you will lose focus. And so here's my question. Are you an unarmored Christian? When was the last time you put on the armor of God? Actively, consciously, intentionally put on the armor of God. Daniel gets an insight into this invisible world. And these heavenly realities behind human conflict But I want to finish with one kind of final fascinating insight. And this takes us back to Daniel's prayer life. And this is really what I want us to take this morning. For some of you, all you needed to hear this morning is you're greatly loved. For others, all you needed to hear this morning is, listen, don't be afraid. Peace. Be strong. But hopefully for the rest of us, for lots of others, this is what I want you to take away. Because you see, what we discover in Daniel 10 is that prayer is more crucial than we could ever imagine. Prayer is a gift, yes. Prayer is a privilege, absolutely. It's also a game changer. I know we've used that idea before. But prayer is a game changer. Because did you notice or pick up on the importance of prayer in verse 12? where the messenger, this angelic visitor, says, Daniel, the reason I have come to you is because of your words before God. That's why I'm here. I've been sent, but I'm here in response to your humility and to your words before God, which implies that this visitation might not have occurred apart from Daniel's specific prayer. Another commentator's put it like this, as we shall see, Daniel's prayers succeeded in drawing angels from heaven to earth. In the mighty battle then being fought between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, Daniel succeeded in mobilizing the angels as a spiritual air force against the satanic powers in the air. Daniel prays. And in response to the sweat and the struggle of prayer that for Daniel went on for 21 days, God brings help. And I'm not entirely sure where to go with this this morning. I'll be really honest. I've agonized over this the last few days. Where do I go with this? How do I finish this morning? Because I'm nervous. I'm really nervous about sounding as if I'm saying, listen, folks, see, unless we pray, see, unless we practice spiritual disciplines, then God will not respond and all hell will break loose. I'm really nervous about saying anything like that. Or by saying, listen, if we don't pray, we are going to trivialize this battle that we have with the unseen world. But I do think that this chapter and so much of the rest of Scripture, including Ephesians 6, makes it clear that prayer is vital. And I know I I say that, and I, I believe that. But you see, as I've often said, part of discipleship is bridging the gap between belief and behavior. So, I I believe in the power of prayer. So, the issue is then, how do I behave? And what freaks me out at times is there is this glaring gap, contradiction between what I believe and how I behave. And I wonder how many things have happened because we have prayed. And how many things haven't happened because we didn't pray. And Daniel prayed three times a day and then some. And so much was altered. So much was changed as a result of Daniel's praying. And so my hope for this morning And coming out of all this comfort and confusion is that if nothing else, we would rediscover and reawaken to the power and importance of prayer. Believe it? Yes, I do, God. Your word teaches that I get that. So, let's have a wee look I'm just being honest with myself and I've been trying to be honest with myself. Let's have a wee look at your behavior, David. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. And so what I want to do as we finish is to create a little opportunity for response. And if you're here this morning and you realize that there is a gap, There's even a contradiction between what you believe and how you behave in this area. If you realize that prayer has slipped or is slipping from your pattern and rhythm of life, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment in the silence and pray. Because you see, if prayer is a game changer, if prayer is a life changer, do you know where it starts? It starts here. Just starts in this moment as you make a choice and so in the silence you pray